that is the name of the series, if we can get it on the screen up here, the uh, question behind the question. And I know it's kind of an odd title, but the idea is that sometimes there's a question that we ask, but it's really not the real question. We may not understand it ourselves, but there's something deeper behind the question that we're asking. Um, one of the things that you may or may not realize, um, most of us would not, is that in the scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, where, you know, the focus is on the life of Christ, is that he, the creator of the universe, he actually asks 307 questions uh, in those Gospels. Only 183 questions do people ask him. It's, it's kind of a phenomenon, really. Out of the 183 questions that people ask Jesus in the gospel, he only answers eight of them directly. But he himself asks of us, the creator asks of us, 307 questions. Now, there's a reason behind his reason of questioning us. Now, when we ask questions, there's some kind of typical ideas of why we ask them. It's a good thing. One of the things that this church has always known for 31 years is we welcome people's questions. Uh, in fact, we even take every Thursday where we just take random questions that people may have and we try to answer them as, as biblically as we can. But here's some reasons, some typical reasons for questions. We ask them to acquire knowledge, to eliminate confusion to cause someone else to feel special or important, to guide conversation in the direction we want to go. This is what kind of courtroom lawyers and prosecutors do. To demonstrate humility for, uh, to another. To enable a person to discover answers for themselves, kind of a Socratic sort of a thing. To gain empathy through better understanding of another view. To influence and alter someone's opinion and view. Sometimes we ask questions to begin a relationship to strengthen a relationship. You know, the more that we understand about each other, the more we can stand each other. <laughs> we go. Okay, so that, that um, to humbly show we have knowledge on specific topics, to stimulate creativity and idea generation, to gain a person's attention, to solve a problem, to reach agreement, to agree, to disagree, or to clarify things. So, so these, are, these are kind of typical reasons that we ask questions. They're all good reasons, frankly, but why does Jesus ask 307 questions? It's so disproportionate when you consider the scant information that we have given in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 307 questions. He's not asking questions because he lacks knowledge. We know that. He is the omniscient or all-knowing creator and sustainer of the universe come to this earth in human form. So why would he ask so many questions? Well, here's what I want to suggest. Might his main reason be to awaken us? And if it is to awaken us, and I'm suggesting in this series, series that it is, awaken us to what? To critical realities. If we want to understand reality, we have to go to the creator of reality to Awaken us to cre uh, critical realities that we may not be sufficiently aware of or, what's the last part? Concerned about. In other words, there may be realities that I desperately need to, to be made aware of. First of all, I'm treating them as though they are not there, they don't matter, and I have no concern for them. So Jesus asks questions to awaken me to critical realities that I may be ignoring and things that I must be, need to be, desperately need to be concerned about, but I may not be concerned about them at all. You ever met somebody that 
you're looking at them, you're looking at their life, you're interacting with them, you're thinking, oh man, you so need to be aware of this. You so need to be concerned about this issue. And yet it's awkward for us to speak into their lives because we don't want to come across as, you know, better than them or a know-it-all or something like that. Well, questions, it's a good way, it's a humble way, it's a gentle way if it's well done to awaken somebody to things that they aren't concerned about but need to be concerned about. I'm just going to ask you, how many of you know somebody? Don't, don't look at them if, if, if it's them. But <laughs> how many of you know somebody that needs to be concerned about something but they're not concerned about it? Can I just see your hands? Yeah. Well, perhaps you could prayerfully seek some questions that you might uh, find from God to ask them that would gently awaken them to this thing that they need to be concerned about but they are not concerned about at the time now our key text today is this one it's from the gospel of john it says jesus looked around and he saw them following so here's the situation we'll we'll read a little bit more uh, get our context in a minute but two individuals start to follow jesus this is very early in his ministry and he asks them he spins around evidently and he asks them this question what do you want he asked them now it's a very simple question two individuals are following Jesus it's not an unusual question to turn around and say what do you want but it's simple but it's profound what do you want now nothing is dynamic or transformational until it becomes personal and specific and we're going to get real personal and real specific in other words the spirit of God is here today and he's addressing us just as he addressed those men what do you want I mean what do you really want we always want something what what do you want today we'll we'll circle back on this a little bit Let, let me give you the context of the passage we read if I can just go on here we are in the gospel of John again it says the next day John this is John the Baptist you have to understand This was an interventional situation. The Lord had been silent for 400 years. There had been no prophet. There had been no no scripture. There had been no revelation. 400 years, and now God was intervening again in human history. John the Baptist was a prophet. The people knew God is speaking to us again. He's speaking through this man called John the Baptist. So the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God, he's pointing at Jesus saying, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Some of you know Isaiah 53, this Lamb of God description is talking about the Messiah, the Christ, in that sacrificial component of his life. It looks way back to the Exodus where the Israelites were told to slay a lamb and put its blood on the lintels of their doorpost as they were being prepared to be led out of Egypt by God. So the Lamb of God, it's the sacrificial nature of God revealed that frees us from self-absorption, from fear, from guilt, from shame, frees us from sin, or at least is, is meant to, and we become followers of Jesus. He says, look, the Lamb of God, and what does the Lamb of God do? He, what does he do? He takes away the sin of the world. It doesn't say that he, he took the penalty of the sin of the world. 
It's saying he's literally going to abolish sin, evil from existence at some point. He's the one that's going to do it. He's the one that's going to, going to take evil out of existence. The next day John saw, uh, excuse me, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. These are disciples of John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So here he's, he's identifying Jesus again. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus turning around we've just read this Jesus saw them following and said what do you want they said rabbi which means teacher where are you staying they're, they're kind of hey where, where do you live they were following John the Baptist now they're ready to become followers of Jesus because John the Baptist has identified Jesus as the Christ as the Messiah as the one who was going to intervene God's intervener in human history to make you know great lasting changes come he replied you will see so they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him and it was about four in the afternoon so it seems just kind of a you know normal situation but that question what what do you want so let's start here I said before nothing is dynamic unless it becomes personal and specific so let's ask this question or let the Lord ask this you know or put this question to us today what do you you've got to put your name in it I have to put my name in it what do you want from Christ Every one of us in here likely wants something from Christ. I mean, it, it might be something that's very specific in your mind. You may have come in here today with your heart just full, just full of energy, maybe full of anguish, uh, maybe full of hope, but there's something that you want Christ to specifically do for you. What if Jesus turned to you and he is this day and he says what do you want from me what do you want me to do for you we know in the biblical narrative we see lots of people that came to Jesus and they were very specific about what they wanted from him let me show you a couple examples in Matthew 4 verse 24 it says the news about him meaning Jesus it spread through the whole country of Syria so that the people brought to him all those that were sick suffering from all kinds of diseases and disorders people with demons and epileptics and paralytics notice that demons and epileptics are not the same thing there are people today that try to say you know that's the same situation no they're they're distinguished quite clearly in scripture uh, and Jesus healed them all so these people came with diseases so whatever their disease was Jesus what you know what he would say what do you want I want to be healed from this particular disease this disorder this torment this specific circumstance let me show you one more example of this in Luke 23 35 this is the actual crucifixion of Jesus it says the people were standing around watching but the leaders these are the religious leaders as Jesus is on the cross they sneered at him saying he saved others let him save himself if he is really the Christ sent from God the chosen one one of the criminals and here's one of the criminals he had a criminal on each side of him being crucified one of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him aren't you the Christ save yourself and us very specific what did they want the leaders wanted Jesus to do some kind of a power demonstration to show that he was one that they should fear 
They didn't like him for himself. They didn't like God as he really was when he came in Jesus revealing himself. The criminals, they wanted somebody to change their circumstances. If you're the Christ, if you've got all power, get off the cross and, hey, while you're at it, get us off the cross too. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. We tend to want immediate temporal circumstantial changes from Christ. The, the thing that we respond to typically when Jesus says, what, what do you want? We have some kind of a situation. We have some kind of a circumstance. We have something very specific. It could be that, you know, I, I want that person to change the way they treat me. I want that person to change the way they feel for me. I, I want that work situation to change. You know, I want my economic situation to change. I, I want my mental, physical, emotional circumstance to change. I want that relationship with someone to change. We, we probably each, as we sit here today, knowingly or unknowingly we have something we want from Christ let's ask that question Jesus is here today by his spirit and he's asking us what do you want it's a simple but it's a profound question because what I believe is there's a question behind the question we may have a specific answer and it's generally speaking going to be something within our temporal circumstances something we want Jesus to change in our circumstances but I want to suggest to you that there's a question behind that question we're asking for a specific change just as those people that were all coming to Jesus whether it was with a sickness or the criminals on the cross wanting to change their circumstances but but is that really is that really what we want or, or might it be that there's something deeper that we want and the thing that we want right now is just a symptom of the deeper longing of something we want from Christ ultimately let's look at it again one more time Jesus looked around and he saw them following what do you want he asked them they replied rabbi which means teacher where are you staying now this is why this is significant the Jews in Jesus' day had a very clear picture of what they expected the Christ, the Messiah, to do. When God intervened again and brought his Christ on the scene, his Messiah on the scene, they believed the Messiah was going to overthrow the geopolitical situation on earth and make Israel the, the lead nation in the world and Jerusalem the capital of the world. And so for the Jewish frame of mind, it meant essentially that there was going to be this this into geopolitical oppression the Jews had been oppressed by many nations the Romans were oppressing them at that time they overlooked what the scripture said about the Messiah and how the Messiah would try to meet the deeper spiritual needs that human beings have they, they got fixated on this thing that we need to change our temporal circumstances we need a new kind of government we need a new world government we need Israel to be leading that world government we need Jerusalem as the capital of that world government if we get these circumstances changed if the Messiah does this well then that's that's all we really need but was it really is it really all we need is a geopolitical change I mean you know circumstantial changes is, is that really what we need what if, what if what we really want is a perfect, unending relationship with our Creator? Remember the series is called The Question Behind the Question. 
We may think that we really want, even need, a certain circumstantial change. We may ache inside and say, I can't even go on living, Lord. If, if, you, don't, if you don't change this, if you don't give me that, I, I don't know if I can just bear going on. But what if there's a deeper question behind the question? What if, as detached as it may seem or feel for you and I at a given point in our life, what if this is the reality? What if the reality is what we want is a perfect, unending relationship with our Creator? These guys say to Jesus when he asks them, what do you want? They say, where, you, where do you live? And they spend the rest of the day with him. But they didn't just spend the rest of the day with him. That was the start of a lifelong relationship with Jesus. These became his, his essential core followers. They live the rest of their life centered in their relationship with Christ their souls were energized day in and day out by their relationship with Christ they went through all kinds of circumstances all the same ups and downs of life that we go through probably lots that we will never go through much harder but it was this essential connection that they had with Christ that met the question deeper in their soul it was not just an answer to a certain uncomfortable circumstance being changed but it was something different it was it was this relationship with our creator that made any circumstance bearable more than bearable it made any circumstance meaningful and even beneficial sometimes if we can be patient long enough to ride it out so the question becomes what do each of us want from Christ today I mean do do we want some specific change from him it's a circumstantial change we think it's what we want and you know as human beings we, we go through life if you think about it we're always wanting something different I mean when you when we're little kids it might be that I just want that kid next door to stop picking on me or something like that and then it might be that I just want to pass the test or I just want to I want to be accepted by the popular crowd or I just want that girl to go on a date with me to like me like me you know or that guy to like me like me you know and, and, and then you know we, we, we develop we go on we say well uh, now now I need to get an education you know so I need an education I need a career I need a car I need a house I need a spouse I need friends I need family that, that's what I want and then we, we get those things and we say well I want more of those things or I want those things to improve I want my spouse to improve I want my house to improve I want my car to improve I want my circumstances you know and so we, we, we change what we want and, and the thing about what we want from Christ at certain times in our life is that it feels really urgent when, when, when something in my life is causing me pain mental, emotional, relational pain it becomes urgent and I feel like I've got to get this Lord why are you not hearing me don't you understand I have to have you intervene and, and relieve me I need this I can't go on like this anymore and it feels so urgent but but what if it's really not I, I, I mean what if it's uncomfortable undesirable but but what if it's something that's manageable it's just something that we need to to be closer to our creator in constant contact with our creator so that we have different 
internal resources to deal with whatever life dishes we all know that life does not give us any guarantees God doesn't give us guarantees about circumstantial things for the most part he says he'll always be with us he'll never leave us he'll never forsake us he says he gives us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life as a security as an assurance in his kingdom to come he assures us that in this life he's going to work in us and work through us and that every circumstance can be meaningful but he doesn't say that every circumstance is going to be without discomfort or necessarily immediately desirable but what if what if the key was closeness what if the thing that I really want but I don't think in other words I think it's that thing that I need it's that person I need it's that career I need it's that break I need that break man what if that's not really what we need what if that's what we want but what we really want the question behind the question is about closeness to the creator and living in out of that dynamic out of that dynamic closeness with my creator so that that kind of brings the question you know like what can we get from Christ I mean what can we actually get in other words he says what do you want but what can we actually expect in this life from Christ what can we actually get we're going to go through a series of scriptures and before I go there though I want, I want, to, I want you to think about something I think most of us would agree on this that a person could have uh, what we might consider the ideal set of circumstances they, they've got it all you know we look at people and we say you know that's just not fair man they're just too doggone good looking nobody should be that good looking you know we, we look at people and we say nobody should be that intelligent nobody should be that talented nobody should be that gifted nobody should have that much money you know we, we look at people and we idealize them and we say you know that, that's not fair man they get, they've got it all okay so let's, let's take the stereotypical got it all person but don't we know that it's true that a person can be the got-it-all person and still be hostile, aggressive, mean, dishonest, immoral, greedy, jealous, petty? I mean, don't we know that to be true? So you could, have, you could be circumstantially the, the got-it-all. I got everything I wanted. I got it all. And still, if you are inwardly hostile and hurtful and hateful and greedy and jealous and petty and immoral and dishonest and these things, you cannot, listen to me carefully, you cannot as a human being with that set of interior conditions be whole, be joyful, have peace, have rest. You will be a miserable human being even though your circumstances are ideal. Some of you really got to hear this from me because you're thinking the if-onlys. You're, you're locked into an if-only cycle. If only I could just have this one thing. If only this one thing would change, man, I, I'd have it all then. I'd be fine. And I'm trying to get you to think, no, that's not true. You, you see, it, it's what's going on on the inside. Now, we also know there are people, most people that are alive, don't have it all. They don't have the best looks. They don't have the highest intelligence. They are not the most gifted. They are not the most talented. They're not the most prestigious, popular, powerful, wealthy. They're just everyday people. Most of us are just everyday people. And yet... Don't we know that a person can have less than ideal circumstances and yet 
they can truly have joy they can be love filled they can have peace they can have a meaningful existence they they can in other words if you look inside that person that doesn't have the ideal circumstances it is possible for them to have a better quality of life than the person that has it all but they're hateful and hurtful and petty and jealous and envious and greedy and they never have enough and so on and so on so so we know this as a reality that it's what's going on inside that governs the quality of our life not what's going on outside and yet we are we are fixated on the outside we, we are bombarded by messaging particularly through the media that you must get what you want you have to get that there, there was this old Celtic philosopher old Celtic philosopher that said something profound he, he said at one time you can't always get what you want <laughs> But if you try sometimes, <laughs> you just might find that you can get what you need. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm actually going somewhere with that. What we need, what, let me rephrase that, what God says we need, the Creator says we need, it's actually what we want. We just don't know it. What the Creator says we need and He will give to us is actually what we want. We think what we want and what we need are these external changes. And don't get me wrong, you know, it's nice when that happens, but it doesn't happen all the time. But what we really want, I know this is kind of a head twister, it's actually what the Creator says we need. That is what we're actually looking for. That's the question behind the question, as it were. <laughs> So let me take you through a set of scriptures. 1 Timothy 1.15 in the New Testament, it says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus, that's, or Messiah Jesus, came into the world to, don't put it up yet, please, back there. Um, he came into the world to change the geopolitical situation, to create, finally, a, a trustworthy political ideology he came into the world to see to it that everybody had an equitable set of circumstances that poverty ceased to exist he came into the world to see to it that no disease existed anymore that, that no one suffers he came into the world to end all war and crime and hostility and racial prejudice he came into the world to see to it that that wealth is equally distributed i could go on and on and on and on but but let's just see what 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 god says for himself why why did Jesus come into the world? Here it is. To, you tell me, save sinners. Evidently, it's more important to save, to rescue someone that is bound by sin than it is to change the exterior circumstances of the world. Let me share something with you so that you understand God has a timetable. He has a plan that he's working out from all eternity past. And in that timetable, this is the time where God is dealing with people as individuals. He's dealing with us individually, and he's dealing with us spiritually. Because he came to save sinners. I'm in trouble. I need to be rescued from something called sin. It's my problem. And because it's my problem, and the scripture says it's everyone's problem, it becomes a global problem. But right now, God is not dealing 
with evil on a global level. He is dealing with us individually and spiritually, not socially and circumstantially. And this gets people confused. There's a time coming when God's going to intervene again and he's going to completely abolish evil. Then he'll deal with circumstantial uh, problems and, and social problems. But for now, it is an impossible thing to sufficiently deal with circumstantial and social issues as long as I'm evil or have evil existent in me and as long as you're evil and have existence, uh, evil existent in you. Let me just give you, you take the United States government. It's probably the, the best idea, if you, you study governments that have come and gone through human history, it's probably the best idea that humans have ever had. But we know the weakness in it is that it's run by flawed, corrupted human beings. And so no matter how good the system is, it comes crumbling down under its own weight because it's run by you and I and people that are the same as you and I that can be tempted, that can be corrupted. So for now, God is primarily dealing with us individually and spiritually because that's what I need. Eventually, when he abolishes evil altogether, he'll deal with circumstances and the social issues as well. So he came to save sinners. You and I must recognize I have a sickness. I have a disease. I, I am a sinful being. I am not the being that God initially created me to be. I need to be rescued. And that's why Jesus came. He didn't come to make sure that everybody's poverty went away. That'll come in time, but not now. He came to save us individually and spiritually, to take us from being sinners to those that are free from this disease called sin. Let me share another one with you, Matthew. Matthew 1, 121, talking about Jesus at his birth. She, meaning Mary, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Why did they give him the name Jesus? Why? It goes on to say, he will save his people. What does it say? You tell me. From their sins. Notice it doesn't say from the penalty of their sins. I don't need to be saved from the penalty of my sins. I mean, I need that too. But what I need is to be saved from sin itself. That is what's wrecking me as a human being. That is what is wrecking you as a human being. That is what wrecks relationships. That is what causes crime and hostility and, and wars. We need to be saved spiritually and individually. And that's what God is at work right now to do. Let me share another one with you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Speaking of Jesus... He bore our sins in his body on the tree, meaning the cross. You know, wood comes from trees. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Why? Why? Why, why did he take my sin upon? Why did he allow himself to be crucified because of my sin? Why? Let's let, get the answer. That we may, you tell me what it says. Cease from sinning. And, and what else? And live for righteousness. Oh, wait a minute, I, th I thought he, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. It's not what that says, does it? It's not what that says. The, the, the penalty's not the problem. The problem is my propensity to continue to sin and destroy myself and destroy anybody else that I touch. And, and so God wants to rescue me from 
actual sin. You gotta get this, God came in Christ and he sacrificed himself on the cross to regain our trust so that we would follow him fully and freely and forever and when we trust him completely and follow him fully and freely from forever, it breaks the power of sin. We know that God's will is always for my highest good and well-being and that when I follow him and I start changing my conduct based on what he says is true and right and good and loving, then I become a kind of a source of safety and good on the planet. He, he actually wants my conduct to change. I am, I am I'm a, overwhelmed at times to think about churches full of people that identify themselves as Christians, as Christ followers, that do not think becoming a Christian means that my conduct is supposed to change in any way, that my character is supposed to change in any way. People fill churches to think that becoming a Christian is nothing more than reciting some prayer about asking Jesus into your heart or something like that or believing that he paid the penalty of your sins or just believing certain truths about Jesus, you know. Me and man are upstairs, we're okay, you know, he, he knows my heart. No, 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 no. If Jesus' sacrificial life and death on the cross hasn't caused you and I to cease from sinning or to be in the process of deeply desiring, combatively desiring to root sin out of our life and to live righteously right now. That means to live the way that God designed me to live. Then there's something wrong. I'm, I'm misunderstanding the message. I may call myself a Christian, but I'm not. I could go live in a doghouse and call myself a dog, but that wouldn't change the fact that I'm a human, right? So let's, let's take it one step further. In the book of Titus in the New Testament, Again, it's talking about Jesus' sacrificial death. It says, he gave himself for us. Why? Why did he give himself for us? Oh, well, Rand, everybody knows he gave himself for us to pay the penalty for our sins. Man, we can't pay that penalty. We'd have to go to hell if we had to pay that penalty. So that's why he died for us, to pay the penalty for our sins. Really? Really? I, I, somebody needs to show me that verse somewhere because I've spent a lot of decades studying God's word. I've never seen that verse. Let's see what it actually says. He gave himself for us to rescue us from, what does it say? All wickedness. Well, what does that look like? Well, what does it look like to rescue me from all wickedness? It means that he's got to so enlighten me about the nature of sin, so convince me that it's destructive, self-destructive, socially destructive, that I no longer can be baited by it. I no longer can be seduced by it. I am being rescued from all, A-L-L, wickedness. I see it for what it is. I see it as a contaminant. I see it as a pollutant. I see it as a poison for my soul and the souls of others. He gave himself. His sacrificial death was to prove to me that I can trust him so that now I want to follow his way, his word, his will. He gave himself for us to rescue us from all sin and wickedness. What else? And to make us what kind of people? Pure. Does that speak of character change? Are Christians supposed to be different? Yes, pure mentally, pure sexually, pure in every regard. To make us a pure people who belong to him alone. These disciples, they said, Jesus, where are you living? And then he has them for the rest of their life as his followers. They entered into a non-ending relationship with Christ. And that's what he eagerly seeks for all of us. A people that belong to him alone and are eager, eager to do good. A Christian 
that is not active in doing good is, is a, it's inconsistent. It's not, it's not something the scripture recognizes. A Christian that is lazy, a Christian that is not serving, a Christian that is not giving, a Christian that is not actively doing good is a source of good in a dark, dark society. That, that's not scriptural. Christ sacrifice is meant to inspire us it's meant to motivate us god wants to rescue us individually and spiritually we sometimes think what we want from christ is that he changes the things in our lives circumstantially and socially but it's but it's spiritually and individually that we can count on him to do these things he wants to do these deep inward spiritual work this character transformational work that is what we can count on christ to do and when we allow Christ to start to guide us and direct us and correct us and change us as we're living our life more and more consistently aligned with his word and his will, here's the results. Here's what happens inside of us. Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit, meaning the result of God's Spirit working in us, uh, we're, uh, we're cooperating with God. We're going along with his word and his will. The fruit of the Spirit all of a sudden we start becoming beings that are more loving we start having joy joy is different than happiness happiness is based on what's happening joy is based on it's a sense of well-being based on i am aligned with god his word his will with truth with life i have goodwill toward god and goodwill toward man that brings joy peace i know my sins are forgiven not because i deserve it but because christ promised me that i know i have eternal life i know his kingdom's coming i know his will is going to be done and it causes me to be a forbearing individual consistently I'm progressing in that kinder I become more good I become faithful gentle I have more self-control against such things there's no law we said earlier the person can ha have it all they can have it all but inside they can they can still be miserable if they're full of hostility and hatred and jealousy and pride and all those things but a person can have nothing but if they have this inside the quality of their life is, is as good as it gets regardless of circumstances. So let me try to summarize some things for you. What can we actually get from Christ? What can we expect from Christ in this particular time? We know in the time to come, he's going to give us the desires of our heart for all eternity. But, but right now, well, he gives us promises that he'll be with us through everything we go through and he'll be trying to work all things for our ultimate developmental good so that we become a more Christ-like version of ourselves. He gives us principles that guide us and direct us, that, that show us how to operate in any situation we, we are in. He puts us in processes. He, he urges us to put off our old self and our old ways and our old habits and to put on the new self that is meant to be like God, meant to be Christ-like. He gives us power. He gives us tremendous energy and enthusiasm to do what is good and to do what is right and to be consistent when things are good in life, when things are bad in life, and when things are just mediocre in life. It's a power daily to do what is good in the sight of God. And he gives us purity. He starts to really clean us up on the inside. Our minds become clean. Our mouths become clean. Our, our motives become clean. He purifies us. It's real. It's real transformation. And, of course, ultimately, he brings us peace. You can't have all these other things operative without having peace inside. So that's what we can get. It's readily available. He wants to give it right now uh, for all those that trust in him. Let me add this to it. Now, we tend to want, 
but cannot always get what? Let's go on. Immediate temporal circumstantial changes from Christ. This is our tendency. Lord, I want you to change that job situation. I want you to change that person. I want you to change that situation. I want you to change that medical report. You know, whatever it may be. I want you to change my economic situation. We tend to want but cannot always get immediate temporal circumstantial changes from Christ. He does not promise that. He says, in this world, we will have our share of troubles, okay? But while what we need and can always get, so here's the thing. I said earlier that what we want is actually what God says we need. We don't understand that. We, we think, I need these different circumstances, and then my life will be good. God says, no, no, no. What, what you really want, and you don't know it, is the thing that I, your creator, say you need. Let's go on. What we, what we can always get are gradual, eternal, spiritual changes. God starts to work in us as we trust him, as we learn his word, as we obey his word, as we practice his word. He starts to make changes in us, and these changes in us change the quality of our life, regardless of our circumstances. Resulting... Um, gradual eternal spiritual changes resulting from a perfect unending relationship with these with christ these individuals that followed christ home that day they entered into a dynamic relationship with christ their creator that never ended they became they became his core followers they became his two of his apostles one was andrew the other one goes unnamed we don't know so let's look at this what critical realities here's the big question because we said that that Christ asks us questions primarily to awaken us to critical realities that we may not be aware of and to cause us to become concerned about things that we may not be concerned about in life but we need to be concerned about. So here's our question. What critical realities might Christ be seeking to awaken us to and concern us about today? What is it that Christ might be trying to awaken you, me, to today and, and what what is it that he sees that we need to be concerned about but we're not concerned about it and he's trying to awaken us by asking a simple question what do you want what what do you really want do you really know what you want you see you and I tend to think we know what we want we want circumstances to change and become favorable and desirable but God says that's not what you really need what you need is to be aligned and relationally connected to our creator and then that starts to bring interior changes that are independent of the circumstances that are always going to be in flux in this world where evil is still existing so let me close with saying something personal um, in Matthew chapter 13 Jesus gave a series of parables and, and two of the parables are, are really personally very very interesting to me um, they're in Matthew 13, verse 44 and 45, and, and the one, they're just one-line parables. The one is about this individual that finds a treasure hidden in a field, and nobody else knows about it. He just stumbles across it, and when he finds the treasure in a field, he gathers all the money that he has, everything that he has to buy the field because he knows the treasure is more valuable than anything he has in the other parable he says there's this guy that was searching for for special pearls and he says then this guy stumbles across this pearl that was just awesome it was it was of great price it was 
different than any other pearl. It was more valuable than any pearl that he had ever seen. And in the same way, he sells everything that he has to get the pearl. Back in 1973, I was a, a young and a foolish and a most self-destructive young man. I, had, I felt like I was too old for my years. I, I felt like I'd been everywhere, had done everything, and had made about every mistake that a human can make. And without prolonging this, Christ made himself available to me. He, he revealed himself. I don't mean in a, some vision or something like that. He made me aware of himself. And here's the one thing I knew. When I turned to Christ in 1973, I don't know how to explain this to you other than this. I knew, man, I knew <laughs> I had found that treasure in the field. I knew I had found that pearl of great price. I, I, I knew, I knew that everything that I was really looking for, that I wanted, it was really what God knew I needed and that what I needed supremely was intimacy with my Creator. I needed Him then and I've needed Him every day since. And here, so many decades later of walking with that Creator, I can tell you, there is nothing more valuable than the deepest kind of closeness and unity with our Creator that we can achieve in this life. Prioritize what you want. I promise you this, you will never ever regret prioritizing your relationship and the development of that relationship with your Creator. And that primarily starts by, by we, we've got to get into God's Word and we've got to let God's Word get into us. And there's lots of other facets to that. But maybe today the Spirit of God is trying to get you to awaken to the reality that you were made by Christ and for Christ and that apart from Him your life is never going never to find its, its kind of smooth stroke, so for want of a better term. You're, you're never going to feel that you're in step with life or yourself. Maybe this is the day that some of us for the first time say, you know, let everybody else follow whoever they want to follow. I'm putting my trust in Christ today my creator and I'm going to follow him fully and I'm going to follow him freely for the rest of my life I'm going to become a Christian today I'm putting my trust in Christ and then others of us we're, we're maybe God's trying to awaken us to to look at reprioritizing some facets of our life so that this relationship that these guys entered into when Jesus said what do you want and they just wanted essentially to be close to their creator to be close to the Messiah and maybe today God's challenging some of us to awaken to the fact that, that we actually have mastery of our schedule. It is not too late. We are not too old. There's time, but we must grasp the time to start making concrete changes so that we don't five years from now look back and we have made no developmental progress at all. So maybe today's the day you, you start saying, man, I'm, I'm going I'm to rethink it. I'm going to reorder my life. I'm going to start prioritizing. I'm going to get into a group. I'm going to get into some, some Bible studies. I, I'm going to start really getting involved in God's church. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to do whatever. But I'm going to get closer to my Creator, and I'm going to stay there. I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going to stay close to Christ for the rest of my days. And it starts today. Today is the day I make changes and take mastery of my schedule and my life. Perhaps that's what the Spirit of God's telling you. He loves us. He wants what's best. He knows what's best. He 
asks us questions to try to awaken us to realities that are critical and concerns we need to be concerned about. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your, your extraordinary patience, your extraordinary mercy, your extraordinary goodness and kindness. Thank you for inviting us into life, into your kingdom, into uh, a meaningful existence that's beyond what we can even begin to imagine. Help everyone here that, that's kind of stuck in a rut, that, that a habit has a grip on them, or they feel they're too far gone, or it's too late. Help them to know that is just not true. And help us to make decisions today that your spirit will energize for the rest of our days. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.